Welcome to WebRush, the weekly talk show that brings you stories of real-world development from industry experts and developers like you and me. Each week, Ward Bell, Dan Walleen, Craig Shoemaker, and John Papa find out what it takes to write, deploy, and maintain apps that stand up to the demands of the real world. And now, here are your hosts. Welcome back to Web Rush. This is episode 120. And today's topic is all about large data in the browser and how we deal with it or don't deal with it at all. Uh, and kind of what are the scenarios around that? And today I have one of my great co-hosts on who knows nothing about data in the browser. That's Ward Bell. How are you doing, No, Ward? nothing about it. Nothing, nothing about <laughs> it. How do you spell data? That's a good question. Uh, I spell data D-A-N, uh, which also introduces us to our second co-host, Dan Walleen. How are you doing, Dan? Doing good. Yeah, I was going to ask Ward, how, how do you spell data again? What What is that all about? I keep hearing about it. The Star Trek character, last I looked. Right. Wait, wait, you've watched <laughs> Star Trek? John, I may not. Well, I, I have to confess that I am aware of some of these things that I otherwise do not enjoy. Pretend not to enjoy. Pretend not to enjoy. Okay, I think I can live with that. Well, it's funny. So this, this episode came up as one of those spur-of-the-moment ideas where we were all chatting, uh, this group here, plus our guest today, Sam Ardioli, who I'll introduce in a moment, and we were chatting about a problem Sam is faced with, and we got into some really deep discussions, and I was like, you know, this would make a great episode because it's all about managing lots of data. Like, you've got a lot of data in your applications, you need to pull it out of the browser and do a lot of things with it, and then at some point, you start to worry about Am I doing the right thing? Am I, am I managing this right? Uh, what libraries can help me? What libraries can hurt me? And Sam kind of brought this to our attention and uh, was kind enough to join us today. So Sam, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and Sam, just to give people a quick background on you, you want to share pe with people what you have done or are doing um, in your sure. life? Uh, I started my career way back in the day at uh, Apple. Uh, back in 2000, worked for them for a number of years as a system and integration engineer. Um, took some time off to travel the world for a few years, had some fun. Ended up at Disney. That's where uh, John and I met. Um, and then from that, started doing some uh, videos online with John and some conferences. That's where I met Ward and Dan. And um, I left Disney three years ago, four years ago for a, a startup, a fintech startup. Had a successful exit last year and left again to start my own company. So I'm doing that now. Fantastic. What's the, your what's your company's name? It's uh, startbootstrap.com. Awesome. We'll put we'll drop a link in there too for folks so they can check it out. Perfect. So I Sam, think you what do we call it? Sam, I am. You know, <laughs> great name for a company. It's actually it's a website that's existed for a long time, and it's a really good friend of mine that uh, I've known for a long time. So we became partners, and we're uh, we're growing it together. Awesome. Why don't, why don't you kick things off by telling us what the problem was? Like when you brought this to us first, what were you trying to do? So I've got a collection of documents um, and I'm loading them from loading them from my server and I'm allowing the user to make edits to these documents. I'm trying to simplify it as much as possible. So um, the user can make edits, they can add to the document, they can change things, and it's they make pretty frequent edits, and they're able to undo and redo these edits. Um, and my question was, originally to, um, to Ward was, am I going to get into trouble with NGRX with all of this being um, 
mutable, immutable data or data that can't change, you know, having to clone these objects. Am I going to have a problem with memory if people are undoing and redoing really fast and having to make all these writes in the browser? Um, and I, you know, that's, that's where the whole conversation started from. And this could apply to Angular, React, Vue, Spell. It really doesn't matter which framework you're using or even any. It's really just that whole Redux pattern of managing state in the browser using this... Um, using a central store with immutable objects in the store. Correct, yeah. But yeah, been there, done that. What, I don't know if you said earlier and I missed it, what, what type, of, how much data are we talking about with like a project? Yeah, how much is too much, Ward, in the browser? This is only a five-second <laughs> podcast, by the way. The answer is so easy, Ward's just going to lay it on. <laughs> you can't have too much. <laughs> Never enough data in the browser, right? Never enough. As we much as the browser will hold. We don't need databases anymore. Come on. No. no. Um, so uh, and it, it was really interesting because there were a whole bunch of things that you you were worried about and then and then things that you were trying, Sam. Um, and, and I think that what you were worried about and what you were trying is very, is something a lot of people uh, will say, yeah, I'm worried about that too. And maybe I should try this. So can you, can you kind of give sure. us uh, what, what things you were trying to do there? So what I ended up doing, well, the first thing I did was I downloaded all the collection and then I would use a reference. So I would say, you know, here's my projects. And at the top of the, the collection level, at the root, I would say my active project, which would just be an index into it or an ID, and I would do a simple find to load it. Um, and then I actually had sub-projects in that, but we don't need to get into that. Um, and that, what I started to worry about was that that would be um, not ideal. So I started to then take, every time I would take an active project, uh, one of the collections, um, I would move the project and rewrite it, duplicate the content to the root level and then feed off of that. But then that started to become an avalanche of, well, every time I make changes to my quote unquote active project, I've got to sync all of those back up into the collection. And then that becomes another management nightmare. And so I was trying to think of the trade-off between, you know, duplicating the entire array of projects every single time I make a tiny change to the active one or keeping the active one outside of it and updating that and syncing those changes back. Um, and I ended up, after our conversation, going back to the original way, which is keeping a reference, uh, you know, the ID of the active project, and then updating the active project in the array under the guise or the assumption that um, the store will optimize and won't be duplicating all of that data on every write. Um, the other well, thing I might want to well, throw in there let's before back, we... let's back. Can I ask some okay. questions about this? Um, oh, no, sure. there's no questions. There's only answers on this part. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so... Um, you're not downloading every project in the entire, you're not downloading the entire database. It, you're, you're giving a, uh, the user a list of projects to select from, correct? Um, yes and no. As I started it off, I was just assuming that users would only have two or three projects at most. Mm. And so I was downloading them all. Or, I mean, at this point, I'm not even touching the backend server. I just got a service that generates them on the fly. Right. Um, but uh, as, as it grows, what I'll end up doing is only download the head of the projects, then not the whole body, so that I only have a small amount of data to show the projects to the user so they can select the right one and then load the project in. But again, the project itself that gets loaded then has multiple pages of that project that are all could be, you know, 50K, could be a few megabytes, could be a lot of data in each one of those. So right. it's still kind of the same problem I'm facing. So, so right. you might be thinking about sort of lazy loading the pieces, right? Yeah, yeah. 
Uh, as, as it progresses, that's what I'll do is I'll, I'll load the high level projects. And then uh, from those IDs, then load the sub project into memory. But then again, kind of take that a step back. I'm still stuck with the same thing with that project at the root level. Now for each page that they're editing, do I <laughs> make a copy of the page? Do I lazy load the page? Do I load all the pages at once? Um, you know, making these kind of design decisions and trade-offs. And we've talked about, you know, not premature optimization. I hear what you when you say that. The difference is, or the question is, is making the right design decisions in the beginning prevents a lot of rewrite later on. Because certain things that you make early on and the decisions you make, you know, going back and changing those is really difficult sometimes. So could a page be as big as like a megabyte or definitely not? Yep. It could. Okay. So a project, <laughs> project has pages and um multiple projects and each project has pages. Each page can be about 50K. Um, and it's a JSON object with about you know eight or nine um, different uh, properties. And each property could have very long strings um, that could be you know a few K each or, or more. Yeah, could be up to a few megabytes. Yeah, not more than that. We're not talking 20, 50, you know, gigabyte. We're talking just at most a few megs. And are you storing the just and the board probably already knows all this, but are you storing like the project then in the store or just like the head, like you said? Starting out because I'm just building the project, I was throwing all the projects in the store, but I will have a projects plural store and then a project store Got that it. will be the active project. But then I still have this. So kind of like the head. Head store. But then I still have the same issue with the project because the project has multiple pages and that I will want to load all the pages at once so people can, the users can page through them. Sure. Quick and fast. So let's, let's try and simplify it so that we can grab a hold of it. A project, so I'm going to state some things back to me and you'll tell me where I'm wrong. A project is an object graph. The most important or weighty parts of it are the pages of it. But so you, I could think of a project as literally an object, project <laughs> object that has hanging on it individual pages. Uh, yes. And it's the pages that could get big, right? And, I, and a collection of projects on top of that book. And the, okay, and so, so we have, let's imagine we had three la layers. We had an outer list of projects within which you would have a project structure. Within that, you would have pages. And what the user edits for the most part, where they spend their time is editing an individual page. Is that correct? Absolutely. Okay. And the stuff that you want to do and undo and all that stuff is a page, right? As they right. type on the page. Mm -hmm. All right. So uh, this one of the things that that um, about these uh, re the Redox pattern stuff is just sort of like what belongs, in, what needs to be immutable, and what stays in the store. Um, and, uh, and that, you know, the first thing that we learn is that it should be shared state. By shared, I mean state that's going to be viewable elsewhere in the client application. So at the moment that somebody is editing a page, is that really something that, um, are all the changes and keystrokes that they're doing that you might potentially want to undo, do they need to be visible anywhere else? Not necessarily. Is there any advantage? Like, am I seeing them on another screen? Am I doing anything like that? Um, we have pop downs that allow you to switch between the projects. Um, 
that allows you to change the project. So uh -huh. yeah, would there's, you, there's a variable that could be handled by another simpler data store possibly, yeah. So, so would you then let so let's let's walk the scenario because this is this is how you I think we all have to think about these things is we have to we have to say what do we want to keep and how long do we want to keep it so do you imagine so and from this we can have to have user scenarios so I think it that's always what drives our decisions so you imagine it do you imagine a user starting to edit page you know page A. Right. And they kind of go on, you know, maybe let's say they've typed three or four things. Then they jump over to B. They start making some changes there. Then they go back to A and they would like to undo the changes they made in A. Is that the kind of, is it like having multiple Word documents open at the same time and you're trying to be able to bounce between them and undo any of them at any time? Yes. So it's like Google Docs basically, but in a custom app. Right. I, I mean, I'm building, based on what we do at Start Bootstrap, we build templates for people to build websites, I'm building a web page creator that's in the browser. Yeah, and to think of this in a way that I think other apps I've, I liken this to, we all try to like say, okay, look at the scenario, what have I built that's similar like this, so we can relate to it. And I'm thinking of Google Docs, but also, not that I built that one, because I didn't, but I'm also thinking of a lot of apps in my lifetime where I've had to have multiple things open, uh, order entry, uh, order entry diagrams where people are on the phone with you or whatever, they're entering a lot of data, they pause, you have to go to a new order, but you don't want to lose the old order. Or another one I worked on was um, insurance applications. Insurance applications are massive and huge. And you're filling out this long, massive document, basically, with huge object graphs. And then you need to switch to another one, but you don't want to lose all the stuff you have. And you keep going through maybe 10, 20 of these. So I think this scenario relates far beyond, uh, you know, just a couple that Sam's mentioned and I've mentioned here. And I know, Ward, you've worked on a lot of this stuff, too. Yeah, the thing that's different, you know, for me is that I very rarely need to maintain a fine-grained history. If I'm going to do an undo, it's one level. Agreed. I don't, you know, uh, uh, whereas in a Word document, that would drive you crazy. If you could only undo the last keystroke, you'd go mad, right? Uh, mm -hmm. So um, uh, this is quite different. And, and it's a pattern that um, has been dealt with, by, you know, you can read about how people do editors. So unlimited editors. undos, huh? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I was going to say, Ward, this gets into, uh, I don't know, have you guys looked into CRDTs and stuff like that at all by chance? Those algorithms? That's what the Fluid framework uses. Um, and, you know, it's a new open source framework that kind of when I joined Microsoft, I got to help out with some of the stuff they've done. Dan, um, I'm going to interrupt you. Can you explain to folks what a CRDT, what that stands for? If I can remember, I just call it CRT. It's a uh, conflict-free resolution. I'm going to Google it real fast. Uh, or no, replicated data type. I just Thank call you. it CRDTs. Conflict-free replicated data type. Um, there's actually, if I can find it, I'll, while you guys are talking, I'll try to find it. There's a guy from um, Cambridge or one of those who has some amazing talks on it. But the idea is, in essence, uh, when you talk about Google Docs, for example, because that's what I kept hearing you guys say, the idea is uh, think of a very sophisticated uh, differ engine. So it's not just a matter of save the original copy, here's the new one, now just revert back. It's way more sophisticated and dives in. And it, it almost sounds like... Um, and I, I think, Sam, you had mentioned, because we talked a little before we got on, that you've actually looked into this a little bit. But it almost sounds like that, you know, potentially is a good fit for these type of scenarios because 
when that's why I asked how big these pages are. Because if you had, I don't know, how many pages could you have? You said many. Uh, yeah, it's meant, you know, four or five pages. I mean, how, how big a website might be, right? Okay. Oh, okay. When you say page, I'm sorry. I'm thinking of just page as a generic concept, not as a web page, but okay. So it's going to be the HTML, the CSS, the template, and any custom template data that is going to be stringified on the object. Yeah. That gets stored on each page. Yeah. So I'm just thinking out loud, but it's one of those things where if, you know, you're storing this data, let's just say you do store it in a store to update the whole thing every time. I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of, I think Ward was going down this path. I'm kind of wondering, number one, do you even need the, the store for that? But number two, from an efficiency standpoint, to be able to undo anything. Um, that's what some of these algorithms are for. I'll dig up uh, this one guy. I got to find his name again, but I'll dig it up real quick. And then he actually has a library I, you can use. I think the NGX wider, the Immer and wider that I'm using, I believe it does something similar to that, kind of like GitHub only changes the diffs as you update the object, which is like a library. And it might be the same algorithm. I'll have to do some research and see if that's what they use. Cool. But it's an awesome open source thing I stumbled into. But but let's let let's so so let's let's take back. If you did it brute force, the way you know you wouldn't do it, you take and let's suppose it was a five. <laughs> let's make it really bad. It's a five megabyte string, all right. And every time you made a keystroke change, you made a copy of that five megabyte string, and you held on to both the before and after. I think we would all instinctively say that's probably not going to work. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, so you know, 100 changes. Now you're looking 100 times five right. leg. And that'll break even my browser. <laughs> Speaking of breaking into things, it's time oh. to break into a podcast sponsor. We'll be right back. So, John, one of the things I like about AG Grid, which is a, a data grid component for the kind of complex uh, grid scenarios that we encounter all the time in enterprise apps. One of the things I really like about it is that it works for a variety of frameworks, Angular, React, Vue, or, or just vanilla JS. Does that ring a bell for you? Oh, it really does. There's all these different companies that I work with where they have no choice but to use a lot of these different tools because they have different teams working on them. So being able to port their code or share that code and that technical investment they have is really important to them. Yeah, well, it's important to us, uh, ideally, we're a consulting company. And, uh, you know, we never know what our client's going to want to use, Angular, React, Vue. But they're all going to need a grid. And it's great to be able to reach for uh, the one grid that works everywhere, AG Grid. You know, at, at any size company, too, because you could have these teams that maybe they only use one framework, but eventually they're going to switch to another one and be able to take that investment again and use it, reuse it is really nice. So if a multi-framework data grid makes sense to you, please go check out AG Grid at ag-grid.com. And we're back and we're breaking bad with Ward Bell. Uh, Ward, you were talking about breaking your browser. I don't know what's going on over here. Right. Well, that's always something fun to do. So, so, uh, so yeah, I mean, we can't, uh, we're not going to make a complete copy of the document for every keystroke um, uh, or any degree of resolution of whatever constitutes a useful change. You're going, so you kind of, you you know, that's independent of technology, right? I mean, I don't care whether you're using a store or not. You can't keep a complete copy of the document in all of its minute changes. So you have to have some kind of change tracking, some kind, you know, some something that, that represents the change you made that you can replay and cut back and all that. That's what, and, and I, I have to believe that 
whatever the CRDTS thing is, is just a variation on that problem. I, I know you say you don't have to use a store, but I'm kind of in love with stores these days. I, uh, I'm not saying whether you need a store or not. I'm saying that the representation of what of the state of a page and the new next state and the next state and the next state, um, it's not going to work to have the complete contents of the page in each representation. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. All right. So no matter how you store it. Yeah. And I'm using a plugin, so I don't even have to worry about that part. So, so rather what I would imagine is that you are, you, you have an initial state, which is the document as you received it. And then you have a, you have a, an event history, you know, I did this, I did that, that you can replay. And it's this event history that you'd like to hold on to at least throughout the user session. So my next question, therefore, would be, how long do these replay histories have to last? Do they have to be persisted or are they only local during the browser session? So with the plugin I'm using on with NGRX, it's, it allows me to specify the state. I'm using like 50. And it actually, it's, um, you kind of create a good segue. I'm saving that out between sessions in IndexedDB. Um, it's actually a cool little trick that I've been working on that allows me to actually get users to start using the page and persist their changes through sessions without having to sign up for an account. I basically write everything into IndexedDB and then I load that first if there's no user account or anything set up. Right, but I'm asking a, a, a different question, I think. Oh, sure, sorry. Uh, no, that's good because your answer is always revealing about how you're, you're thinking about the technology. Uh, I'm trying to understand the use case, uh, okay. which is a different question. Um, if someone reuses, reloads, I, do they if want? I, if I close my browser, come back in, can I undo? Because you know, for like a, a word document, you can't, right? You can't, right? You you can in this say uh, in this sense, although I might not even allow that because it's not necessary. It's kind of like VS Code, how like after you close a file and you open it, you can undo again. I, I kind of like you ever seen that? I kind of want to turn that part off because sometimes I go too far <laughs> hitting control Z. Well, <laughs> and <yeah>. <laughs> particularly if the page might be shared, right? Because now you have to deal with the changes I made versus the changes John made versus the changes Dan made. And I don't know how far down that road you want to go and whether you want to be able to resolve conflicts. I was just going to ask that. Is is this a collaborative thing too, Sam? No. No, no. Okay. Not yet. <laughs> okay. Well, CRD. Come on, Sam. You like to complicate the heck out of things. Let's let's no. throw that in there too. Right. Already complicated. We've enough. got sockets and. <laughs> All right. You probably don't want CRDTs then, because that's more for collaborative <laughs> editing scenarios. So. Gotcha. Yeah, so we're talking per, uh, persistent collaborative cross. Yeah. Yeah. Process cross thread cross net connection. Well, let's that's frame wild. this again. It's a single user at a time working on multiple documents, the document being large sets of data that they have control over and they could switch back and forth between different contexts of different documents in the same browser instance in this app. And you need to store a certain amount of undo history, but not like every keystroke. Well, so the, the undo redo was kind of part of the specification, but wasn't the question I was trying to figure out with Ward. The question I was trying to get to with Ward was, if I have this store and I have all of these projects in my store and I change one little thing on the project, am I taking that entire array, duplicating it, adding the change, and then replacing it? Well, let, well let's walk that dog for a sec, because that's a great scenario. Let, let's use more scenario of five megabyte set of data. 
this really big set of JSON for that matter, right? You've got a large set of data. What happens in Redux, right, is you fire off an action of somebody changed something. Uh, through the action, you're then going to go through and say, okay, here is the new set of data, and you're going to replace what was in the store with that new set of data and the data that didn't change, right? Maybe mm -hmm. using the spread operator or however you do that kind of thing, if you're imagining in your heads. And then after that's done, you're going to probably go and request that data in your view to say, give me that part of the store again. It, so you're asking, is that replacement of that five meg of data and the whole store going to be performance issue or a memory issue? Or is that what you're asking? Both, yeah. Is, is the, in production, is the browser going to duplicate, deep, deep clone those objects? Or is it going to, you know, use some trickery or some smarts to just only update the part that's changed? I think that's the key is that being an object graph, that's real data, right? You're not talking about an array of, you know, numbers. No. I'm <laughs> You're just, talking I'm about nested, nested objects. data. Yeah. But the question could could resolve to being as simple as the question is, is, it, is it exactly the same as an array of numbers? And which we know that the, the cost of duplicating an array of numbers and include uh, is the and the cost of duplicating an array of objects is essentially the same. That was for processing, but not for storage necessarily. And for memory too, because what is an array of objects? Is it the full? I, I, how do I, do I care how big the object is when I have an array of objects? The pointers to the objects. Exactly. What's a point? If you have to deep, if you have to deep, <laughs> if you have to deep clone those objects, though, aren't you? creating two sets in memory and two new pointers I because you can't have a pointer. Right. That would be true, Sam. That would be that, you know, that's, that's gets to the heart of the matter. But the, the fact of the matter, the fact of the matter, if you will, is that in, uh, in, in implementations of these stores, these, you know, when you have an array in there, really what you, you know, which they often are, they're, they're sort of a tree of arrays uh, when you're having collections. Um, uh, you don't, to duplicate an array, you do not duplicate each object in the array. Rather, you you create a new array which points to the exact same objects. And let's say there are 10 objects in there. You do not deep clone each of the objects in there if you made a change to one of the objects. You simply replace the reference, you know, if it's one of those, let's say your page in the array, you're replacing the pointer to the old page with a pointer to the new page. So the, your new array consists of nine pointers to old objects and one pointer to a new object. You do cool. not deep clone everything in an array when you do it. Wait, let's be clear on this. When you say you don't deep clone, like where are you? You? <laughs> <laughs> you talking about? Are you talking about yeah. using a deep cloning library, or are there different ways to deep clone? Because once we get into the cloning discussion, the clone wars start thinking about how does somebody clone. Clone Wars is awesome. <laughs> well, right. I have no idea what the Clone Wars is. That, is that what we're talking about? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm going through that with my boys right now. So, <laughs> I, I guess what I'm saying is that you, 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 in any of these systems, Redux-like systems, you create a reducer that's managing your store. Yeah. And one of the objects in your store was this array of projects, for example. And when you make a change to a project, presumably you've written some methods, some helper methods that say add or remove or replace a project in my store. And when you implement that reducer, you have a choice about how you implement it. 
Um, and the, the usual choice is that the object in the store is an array of projects. And you're when somebody issues an action of some sort that is to uh, update, or let's just say an update case, a, a project, you are not going to deep clone the collection of projects. You are going to have an array and you are just going to keep, you're going to create a new array and just replace the one reference, right? You're not going to, de- so, but it's up to you. Obviously, if you want, right. you could implement that reducer to do a deep clone. If, um, Why would you do that? So, but does that break immutability? What is, what is the, so let, that's great, great question. So let's turn it back and say, what am I mutating? I'm mutating the array for sure, the array of projects, because it's not the same array. It doesn't have the same projects. Did I mutate page one? No. Did I mutate? No, no. I only mutated page number three of 10. All right. So that guy has to be swapped out. All right. And replaced with whatever the object, the new object reference is. Or you're saying swap out the piece that changed. Don't swap out the entire document. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I don't have to replace the other nine just because one of the 10 changed. So you because wouldn't the do immutability it. requirement. Let's think about what what I, what I am guaranteeing to somebody is that when I hand the new array to the next person who receives it, all right, is that if they wanted to iterate through your array of projects, what would they get? They would now get a they would get a new array, right? All right, so yeah, all right, something changed. The projects changed. Okay. Is it the one? I, is it the document I happen to be working on? Maybe I'm working on that document somewhere. You know, I being this other consumer, and that didn't change. So it would be crucial that they that my object reference didn't change. If I'm looking at page one, it'd be crucial because if I, you know, if you changed page one, if you come deep cloned it and page one changed on me, it, you know, I'm the other guy trying to consume out of the store this thing. I'm suddenly like shocked. I'm like, oh my god. The thing I'm working on has changed. What do I do now? But you didn't change page one. You changed page three. So it's critical that you not deep clone page exactly. one because page one did not change. So practically speaking, the spread operator is much more useful in the reduce function than some deep cloning method. Oh, I, absolutely. With uh, respect yeah. to what we're talking about. We're not talking about the page you talk. In other words, when we get to discussing what happened to page number three, now we'll have that discussion. But with respect to everything at higher levels in the object tree, it's, you know, the spread operator should be fine for that size of array. Because You're you cannot move. I don't know. I mean, it, 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 but but let's let's face it. An object it, this gets back to if it's if there are 10 projects, and you told me that would be a heck of a lot. If there were 10 projects, there's no way duplicating a uh, an array of 10 uh, uh 10 without I'm not talking about the contents. Could matter sure. possibly from a performance perspective. Can't happen. For sure. But then after I've done 20 changes and then I just start mashing the Z button, you know, Apple Z button, that was my that was my concern. Yes. Uh, that should so, just update so, the page, right? Yeah. Exactly. It's going to keep updating, swapping in the store and the, the page or the project, whatever. That's going to keep cycling through. And is it going, would that explode? But based on what you're saying and based on what we talked about the other day, I've gone with the assumption that, or now it's not even an assumption. It's definitely hopefully going to be the right thing. We'll have to test it, of course, but. Yeah, but so so now you get into, so we we talked about the resolution of undo was not projects coming and going, right? In that array, that wasn't the problem. 
Did you want to be able to undo and undo adding and removing projects? No. I mean, I can, I do, but the, the, the undo redo doesn't come into play with the memory. The undo redo just comes into the frequency of making these changes. Okay. Being able to like, so if I made a change in project three and project array has 20 projects, if I keep hitting undo, 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 and it keeps changing project three after what we've talked about now, it sounds like that project three, that object is going to keep changing. I'll have to pay the price for that, but I don't have to pay the price to update all 10 objects every single time. Exactly. So, so, so then your next move is, well, how... How uh, do I have to worry about the change to um, project three? So let's talk about what your risk there is, your performance risk. You you know, your worst case you said was undo, 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 undo. Right, sure. They mash that key as fast as they possibly can. Mm-hmm. And uh, what, what, so one of the things in our Slack conversation I was trying to get across is that's for a human being, that's an incredible fast thing. I mean, I can, pre- I can press the undo key really fast. But from a computer time perspective, it's a lifetime. It's a lifetime. There is, I have so much time to duplicate whatever object represents that page three, that the likelihood that I will bind up my, my browser with that. I'd have to be working on my old Palm Pilot to bind up that, okay? Palm Pilot, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Name drop. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, again, you have to look at your audience. What is my audience dealing with um, sure. and all that stuff? Um, now, I still would say, you know, but it still feels yucky. So uh, what am I actually going to update? Well, first of all, I'm not sure that if I mash that control Z key to undo, I'm not sure I need to store every one of those in the store as put it in the store every time it happens. Why would I do that? I'm on a single screen there and I'm taking all of this action and I'm sort of accumulating locally within that component. So this gets back to the shared data thing, um, uh, Sam. And, and for our audience, it's a critical thing. Who needs to know about every change? Who needs to know? And when do they need to know it? As I'm mash, I, if I'm sitting on one screen and I mash that control Z key, uh, and or and then I you know or I go backwards and forth, backwards and forth, I mash all those things. Who in the world needs to know? As I do it, who needs to know? Nobody. I mean, I I could locally within that component be record you know building up a string of changes representing went backward, went forward, went backward, went forward. And, and that thing might be growing locally as an object within my cr- component, but nobody needs to see that yet, right? I, I could also debounce it. Maybe. Yeah, but, but I mean, who knows? In other words, what we're saying is, let's say we got just the world's fastest typist, but it's still human, you know? Sure. And you wanted to record every keystroke as a separate event. Let's make it really terrible like that, right? Sure. You, yeah. you want to be able to, you know, they press the A, B, C, T. You want to, you know, all right. So let's suppose you were doing all that. Would I, the question is, would I update my Redux store with upon every keystroke? The answer should be no. No. I only need to update the store when I'm going to lo- leave the boundary that is my shared context, when I need to persist it or, or, or something like that. Let me, let me push back a little point because we do, my point is we do not 
it's really critical with these pat with the redux pattern because people get confused about this. You do not put all state in the store. You only put state in the store that must survive the lifetime of your component. One of the problems with surviving is that I need the podcast to survive. So we're going to cut to a commercial break for just a moment. Are you building a web application? Need to deliver it soon and don't have the people to do it? Maybe you're not sure your company has the skill set or experience to do it. And maybe we can help. I'm your host, Ward Bell, and my day job is building applications for companies like yours. I don't do it alone. I'm president of IdeaBlade, a consultancy that specializes in enterprise web application development. We're particularly strong in Angular, RxJS, NGRX Redux on the front end, and .NET Microsoft technologies on the server. We're a small, tight-knit group of people handpicked by me for their expertise, experience, integrity, and team spirit. Maybe we can help you with architectural guidance and hands-on development. And if there's something we don't know, and in our field, really, there's too much to know, we can draw on our personal connections in the Microsoft RD, MVP, and Google GDE networks, as well as our international circle of really great developers, people we know and trust personally. If you've got a project that's keeping you up at night, shoot us an email at info at ideablade.com. That's info at ideablade.com. And now back to the show. And we're back. And the good news is we're still on air and we're still surviving. You know, I, I hear you word and I'm going to push back a little too. play devil's advocate and let Sam chime in. If I have my data in the store and now you're saying, well, if I'm going to do this thing a hundred times, hit control Z backwards, forwards, whatever, maybe I don't store that part in the store. I store that in my component. Now I've got some state in my component, some state in my store and some state somewhere else in a pocket of my drawers. I, I don't know where my state is and how is it going to work? And does that become complicated? I'm, I'm exaggerating. Does that become complicated to manage? It doesn't have to. Is, is, uh, I don't think it has to be complicated to manage. Um, if you think about, about it today, um, in fact, at any, at any moment, your component has all kinds of state, much of which you're not paying attention to because the browser is maintaining it for you, that is completely invisible to you. And to every, and the rest of the application, and you're perfectly comfortable with that. That's not a problem for you that it has all that state. You don't care. The only moment you care, all right, and in this context, is whether it's going. You expect that state to be there when you come back. All right. So imagine that you have um, an array of change events, Sam, that represents anything the user might mash while they're on that page. That thing is growing in the component like crazy, right? Yeah, not right? the actual because data, but the actual deltas, the changes. The deltas. Yeah, let's assume it's deltas, right? What, or with the event. Maybe you've composed an event that tells that describes each change. And that thing is growing like mad. It doesn't have to go into the store. I would argue should not go into the store until that history of changes needs to be persisted or shared. So there's absolutely no reason to update the store during this time. The time so to do argument, it is when you leave. My, argue, my argument against that is, one, when people refresh the page, they can come back and still do their undos and redos if it's in the store. The second being, I'm implementing the undo redo in the store, taking advantage of the store um, and the memoization of the data, how it goes in and out. Um, that's what the Immer and Wider are allowing me to do. So I can... I can have it if I mash the keys a hundred times that it would debounce and it would only take like a certain amount of data and 
and store it for me. So, I mean, basically the undo redo is happening in the store. So why would I replicate that on the component? Well, the store doesn't do that automatically for you. Well, the, 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 the plug in the wrapper that I'm, the, that I'm, the library I'm using that extends the store is doing that for me. All right. Well, um, I mean, you know, if, if that's working for you, um, Hey, great. I don't think I would do it that way. And, uh, and the larger point, I, uh, uh, and I'm trying to make a larger point, not just to solve okay. yours, no, no, I understand. Um, which is, uh, don't, don't talk to the store. Don't persist. Don't, don't update the store except when you need to change its state to share with others. So l- let me, let me throw on why this happens, Ward, because this is, a, this is a really important point. Why do people put everything in a store? Because once you implement it's the, <laughs> once you implement a store in, in the Redux pattern, you've already got this down, right? The Paul pattern, and it just becomes very easy then to do everything in a consistent way where everything's in the store. And frankly, you never really notice performance problems until it's too late, if there is one. So a lot of times it might just be, you know, what I've never had a problem with this. Every time something changes, I'm going to update the store and let it move along. Okay. So, so there's a, you know what, if, if it were free, I would do it, but I haven't met the Redux system yet in which, uh, in which writing, setting up all the reduces, setting up all the actions, updating the store, getting it out of the store, uh, when it changes, rehydrating it into whatever it is I want. I have never met the Redux system in which the, in which the work that was necessary to make that work was not extremely painful. So at hard for well, hard to write, hard to maintain, hard to read, hard to debug. I mean, now, now maybe you got this down, you know, to a fine science here for your application, Sam. In which case, God bless. But uh, it's crazy. It, it, it's a madness that people, and I've seen this in people's applications. You look at it, and and, and they've just got reducers that go on forever. They've got actions and, and, and stuff that go on forever. They've got complex, you know, selectors that go on forever. And no. John and I, I, John, you know, pipe, but we remember looking at these things and we were just scratching our head at how much apparatus people were writing and supporting. I, I like what you say that anything that need the component is going to need the next time it's refreshed should be in the store and anything that it's using while it's in state should be local. I tend to follow that. I guess the one divergence would be that I'm using a library to track undo redo that happens to be in the store. Oh, hey, you know what? If it's point. free for you, if yeah, it's free it's for you, yeah, hell yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> well, this is kind of what I was getting at words. I don't think everybody, if you follow this pattern and you're using Redux and things are working well for you, the argument of readability, maintainability, all that kind of stuff, I don't think there is a problem. For, for that person. Where it comes in is sometimes you step into a trap down the road. If Sam has this app or, or any of our users where they're tracking this kind of data, a common problem too is, well, I'm using a library, like you just said, Sam, I'm using a library to track the changes and do all this for me because it just, sometimes libraries are a heck of a lot easier than doing it on your own, right? Let's be honest. Mm-hmm. Yes, you could write that yourself. But by pulling in that library, sometimes there's an additional cost of, well, maybe it's not doing it in the most efficient or effective way. And it's also handcuffing me because I can't do X, Y, and Z. 
that's that's a common choice we all have to make every day in this ecosystem with the web of is it better to pull a library down or is it better to find your own custom code and i think that's a choice everybody has to make on their own for every single app that they touch sounds like another podcast it does dependencies man hey Sam and I worked on a project where we had to make that choice almost every day uh, at a yep. company. So that was, that was fun. You guys. It's a good point, John, because when I first started that observable store project I have, um, I, the app I was actually building that this was really designed for, even though it's more neutral now, Sam, is very much along the lines of what you have, except for uh, you could kind of imagine it's just one project sure. at a time rather than you have, you know, multiple, but I need to persist the changes first off um, because they can undo after they viewed the changes throughout the whole system. So I had to store that somewhere, um, you know, in a store. But one of the big problems I ran into was, well, a couple things was first off uh, speed of deep cloning with just, you know, JSON.parse, you know, the JSON stratified yeah. type approach versus some of the cloning libraries. And I ended up going with one of the cloning libraries because it turned out it was like significant difference. Plus, you don't realize the issues such as dates getting mangled and there's, there's other issues as well, you know, with the deep clone. But my point is uh, I got it all working and, you know, the people that were using it were pretty happy. But then I had this guy contact me and said, hey, I'm storing like 10 meg. I think that's what the number was. I have to go look up the issue. It made me think of what you're talking about. And, and first off, my thoughts like, what the freak are you storing 10 meg for? You know, in the store, by the way, not just in the browser, but in the store. And he was, he walked me through it and he's like, it has to be this way. I'm not redoing this part. So we literally had to make it so he could turn off deep cloning and basically break uh, immutability, which I was not a fan of, but in certain scenarios. Because speed wise, he literally just couldn't make it work. Otherwise, um, now I'm not saying do that, folks. I, in fact, I think that's the last route I would go down because oh, there's so many issues that come up with UI not syncing right and you know all that when you mutate. But uh, anyway, I guess what I want to throw out is anybody that runs into what Sam's running into, if you do have to deep clone, be really careful with what you deep clone with because there are a lot of options out there and some are definitely better than others. So. Did you, uh, I mean, Lodash is the one that comes to mind first, but then, you know, you want to be careful about pulling in all of Lodash and just, um, have you seen Just Clone? The Just library? I haven't seen that. I was using one. I'd have to look. Yeah, I think yeah, it was called Cloner. They you know, were like, we're yeah. the fastest. <laughs> and then like next week there was a new well, one. We're the fastest. If you're going and, to do deep cloning, you should definitely spend an hour or two looking on the internet at the different options and then run a few tests on your own data just to make sure you're making the choice that you want to live with. I, I, but I would add to this, though, that, you know, look at the size of the data that you're cloning and how complex it is. Uh, most of us never need other thing than, anything other than JSON, Parse, and Stringify, right? Yeah, 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 I yeah, mean, I and so I what I worry about is I see people grabbing Immer, grabbing Cloner, grabbing all this extra stuff, and then having to wire it through. Uh, when a simple solution like using spread operator and use somebody <laughs> only brought up the works. topic of should we take on the dependency or write the code ourselves? Uh, well, <laughs> yeah. what a future podcast idea, Sam <laughs> <Samuel Dioli. laughs> 
Hey, Sam, I want to thank you for coming on the show today and bringing this topic with us. I know we're talking real life scenario for you. And the goal wasn't obviously to solve everything here today, but to bring up uh, every time I talk to you, Sam, you always have really interesting problems. Uh, I appreciate <laughs> it. to come on and talk to you guys. I've been, I've been in seclusion for so long. It, it feels good. to. I think a lot of us have, and you're always welcome to come back on the show, Sam. Uh, folks out there, Sam's an amazing, brilliant mind. One of the smartest folks I've ever met. And Always love talking to Sam. Appreciate that. Good chats, everybody. And thank you, everybody, for listening to us another week of WebRush Podcast. You'll hear from us every Thursday morning.